Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and our South Calgary campus that's meeting in our 6.30 p.m. worship service right here for the time being. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. We are continuing our study in the book of Exodus. In the last few weeks, we've seen how God was preparing and shaping Moses to play the crucial role of leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the Promised Land. You know, the sufferings of his people touched God's heart. So he encountered Moses through a burning bush and commissioned him with these powerful words in Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God's word came loud and clear. Moses is given the charge of speaking to Pharaoh on behalf of God. Moses reluctantly obeys God's word, takes this uh, huge step of faith to go back to his people and tell them that their prayers have been answered. Now, I'm sure Moses had some fear and trepidation as to how he would be received by his people. He's been gone for 40 years. He's been a, a fugitive, a runaway. So he wasn't sure how he would be received. But lo and behold, the Israelites welcome Moses back. They're excited to see him. You know, they rejoice when Moses talks about his encounter with God, that God had seen their oppression and heard their cry for deliverance, and he's now going to come through. Well, the people were convinced. They were elated. There was joy and gratitude in the entire camp. Exodus 4, verses 29 to 31 says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. What a beautiful sight. A community of God's people acknowledging the presence of God, bowing before him in worship, resulting in exuberant praise. Lord, you have heard our cries. You have seen the oppression that we have endured for 400 years, and now you have come through to rescue us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Moses would have joined with them in this prayer and worship. Finally, the time has come, and God was going to deliver on his promises. All Moses needed to do was go to Pharaoh speak God's word, and lead God's people royally out of Egypt. And when you walk in obedience to God, and you are in the center of His will, there will be no opposition, right? Everything should go smooth and easy. And it will all fall in place. Hurdles will be removed. No resistance can withstand. After all, you are responding in obedience to God's word. Would God not make it easy for us? That's what Moses thought. Everything had gone well thus far, 
Moses was off to a great start. He didn't have to convince the people. They received him and accepted him gladly. Moses was on a roll. And he assumed the encounter with Pharaoh was going to be a slam dunk, a cakewalk. And all he had to do was speak forth on behalf of God. And Pharaoh was going to cave in, capitulate, and let God's people go. But that's not how everything pan out. Moses ran into one of the most hard-hearted, rebellious individuals you will ever see in the Bible. A Pharaoh was not going down without a fight. He was in no mood to take any commands from the slaves or their God. Walking in obedience to God and being right smack dab in the center of God's will doesn't mean there will be no opposition. Sometimes the opposition confirms that you are in the center of God's will. It is evidence. If nobody is opposing us, chances are we are not living the countercultural lives we are called to. We are merely reflecting the lifestyle of our culture. But when you take a serious stand for Jesus, wait and watch as you run into one opposition after another. So the question is not, will you face any opposition, but what will you do when the opposition comes? The text that we have today offers us some lessons on facing opposition. Our text is from Exodus chapter 5. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word, Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy, and that is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people, so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, 
why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work, you will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Will you pray with me? Lord, we can think of times in our life when we felt like Moses, down and discouraged, not able to see your plans and purposes for our life. But today we pray that you will speak to us and encourage us and uplift our spirits that we will trust in you even in the face of opposition, that we will look to you for strength and provision. And you will personalize this message to us and speak to us no matter what situation or circumstances that we may be in. So we give this time to you, to the leading of your spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may take a seat. There have been times in my ministry when I followed with someone I baptized, and I found out that that person had a rough week right after their baptism. And this has happened so many times that I'm convinced this is no coincidence. I can think of so many examples, including from my own life. The week after baptism can be hard. When you are baptized, you stand before the community of God's people and you testify of your love for Jesus, the life change and transformation that he has brought in you and your commitment to following him all the days of your life. And the very next week, those vows are put to test as you're thrown into a furnace. Obedience to God's will doesn't mean everything will be easy you will run into opposition. You may face staunch resistance. The oppositions will come from your flesh, from the world, from the devil himself. And they are intended to discourage you, to demotivate you from following God's call upon your life. A young person determines in their heart to live as a witness for Jesus in their school or university. I can tell you right now, expect opposition. 
when you follow God's prompting to move to a, a new city or a new country, you may face unexpected challenges. When you discipline yourself and commit to new spiritual habits like spending daily quiet times with God, joining a community group, or serving in a particular ministry area of the church. All of a sudden, things happen in your life, and you are facing stumbling blocks that are keeping you from making progress in the area that you promised. Doing God's will and walking in obedience to His ways can bring serious opposition. That's what happened to Moses. Here was Moses in the center of God's will for his life, doing exactly what God had required of him. This was not Moses' idea or initiative. This was God's initiative. And yet, surprisingly, there were setbacks. Our text in Exodus 5 opens with these words. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Keep in mind, Moses and Aaron were standing before the most powerful human being on earth at the time. Pharaoh was the solo leader of one of the strongest empires in the world. And Moses and Aaron were older men who belonged to a persecuted minority. Now, the closest parallel that I can think of in contemporary terms is this. Imagine two simple Ukrainian pastors going up to Moscow. They storm into the Kremlin, to the office of the president, look at Putin in the eye and say, stop the war in Ukraine now. That's probably the closest contemporary parallel I can think of. And Moses and Aaron were having a one-on-one -on -one with Pharaoh, and they were not requesting or begging or pleading or supplicating. These were prophetic words backed with the authority that they were spokesmen for God, that they were representing God as his ambassadors. And when Moses said, this is what the Lord says, he represented an authority that was above, way above the realm of Pharaoh. So there was no need for any diplomacy or negotiation. The message was clear and direct. Pharaoh, let my people go. And let my people go signifies being dismissed from one zone of authority being freed from control, letting shackles be broken so that the people can freely decide who they were going to serve. For at present, clearly, they didn't have a choice. And God is demanding that Pharaoh's iron hand be released so that the people can freely choose to come under his authority and control. Pharaoh, let my people go. Here is Pharaoh's response in verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. 
Pharaoh responds with scorn and contempt. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now, that arrogant response doesn't mean Pharaoh did not know the God of Israel. It is a refusal to acknowledge that Yahweh, the God of Israel, had any authority in Pharaoh's jurisdiction. Now, in those times, the gods were seen as territorial. They didn't have rights and power outside of their territory. Pharaoh was so powerful that he gave commands and orders, and everybody was compliant. No one dared to speak up. No one resisted. No one fought back. What Pharaoh says was law. His words were set in stone. But here we have Moses and Aaron issuing Pharaoh a command. They were telling him what to do. It was blasphemous for Pharaoh that somebody would dare to give him orders, that they would make such absolute demands of him. So Pharaoh is being sarcastic and dismissive in his response. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Why should I, Pharaoh, take orders from the God of the slaves? And what is fascinating is, Pharaoh himself was seen as a god in Egypt. He was the intermediary between the gods and the people. A National Geographic article states, as ancient Egyptian rulers, pharaohs were both the heads of state and the religious leaders of their people. In the book of Exodus, Pharaoh sets himself as a rival to God. So Pharaoh is the anti-God figure. Notice something interesting in our text. The phrase, thus says the Lord, is paralleled with the words, thus says Pharaoh, just to bring the tension. And Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. I look at verse 10 in our text. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. So this is a, a clear intentional contrast between thus says the Lord and thus says Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says, let my people go. And the same phrase is now applied to Pharaoh. This is what Pharaoh says in response, don't give them any straw for the bricks. This is a, a battle between two sovereigns, a clash between two powers. And one person was going to find out the hard way that he is no match for the one true God. What we see here in the text is a backlash, an outpouring of Pharaoh's anger. Pharaoh doesn't seem even slightly interested in complying with the command to release Israel from slavery. In fact, he does the exact opposite. He tightens the screw and he was going to make life harder for the Israelites. Harder? Their lives were already hard. They were reeling under oppression for 400 years. They've been treated with no dignity. They've been working so hard. How can it get any harder than that? 
while the Israelites were making bricks day in and day out, they were supplied with straws. Mixing the straw with the clay made the bricks stronger. Pharaoh now claims that the people are lazy, that they are having all these fancy dreams because they don't have much to do. So don't supply the straws, but demand that they make the same amount of bricks. Their required quota of bricks should not be reduced. And it appears that the people had to scavenge for straw all over the place because it was not readily available. If life was bad before, now it had become worse. The Israelites thought Moses was going to walk into Pharaoh's palace and they were going to walk out of Egypt instantly. But instead, things were heading south. The people were in deep despair and they questioned Moses' authority. Look at the verses between 19 and 21 in Exodus 5. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, do you remember what happened 40 years prior to this incident? Forty years ago, Moses had killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew. He was acting as the deliverer of Israel. The next day, the two Hebrews who were fighting questioned Moses' authority. Who made you ruler over us? Forty years later, once again, Moses attempts to be the deliverer of God's people, and things don't go the way that he expected. And once again, the people question Moses' authority over their life. So how does Moses cope with this sustained opposition this time? We know what he did last time, 40 years ago, when faced with opposition, Moses ran away, he fled. Let's see how he responds to opposition now. Which also brings us to the question, how do we cope with opposition that comes our way precisely because we are in the center of God's will for our life? How do we face the challenges that come our way because you are acting in obedience to God's word? Now, I want to offer three reflections from the text that will help us to face opposition in our own life. First of all, Maintain godly confidence. Maintain godly confidence. If you step out in obedience to God and you are in step with the Spirit and in line with His plans and purposes for your life and you face opposition, resistance, rejection, then hold on to godly confidence. Be steadfast. Let nothing move you. Be assured that God is well able to sustain you. you know, Moses would face the fury of Pharaoh. 
But he was not going to back down. Forty years ago, Moses fled, fearing his life. But now God had shaped him and transformed him in the wilderness. And Moses was bold and confident. Look at how he responds to Pharaoh's objection. Verses 2 and 3. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. God has met with us. It's a powerful phrase. Therein was Moses' confidence. It is the secret to overcoming all opposition in life, a personal encounter with the living God. You know, when Moses said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, let my people go, this was not Moses' own conjecture or brilliant idea. This was a command of God. God had encountered Moses. He had an audience with the one who was far greater than Pharaoh. And that's what gave him the inner confidence to stand up to this resistance. And when you turn to the New Testament... The apostles of Jesus and the early church faced intense opposition. They were persecuted precisely because they were walking in the center of God's will for their life. They were obeying God by preaching the gospel. Now, the Jewish religious authorities threatened them and tried to silence them. They used manipulation and force. But rather than just caving in, the apostles took a firm stand. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, it says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Because of this personal encounter with God, the apostles took a firm stand in the face of resistance. Their confidence and authority flowed out of that personal encounter with the risen Jesus. The things that they have seen and they have heard was more than enough. Because they had encountered Jesus, they could withstand the most intimidating opposition that came their way. So in the same way, Moses also, having encountered God, could say to Pharaoh, we have met with God. We know this is what he wants of us. When you face opposition, maintain godly confidence. Because you have encountered God and you are responding in obedience to his word, you have nothing to fear. Even if the whole world turns against you, still you can remain strong in your commitment and follow through on what God is asking of you. No matter how great the oppositions may be, it cannot thwart God's plans and purposes for your life. So maintain godly confidence. Secondly, when faced with 
opposition. Moses cried out to God. And that should be our default response as well when we are faced with opposition. Cry out to God. Now, it was one thing for Moses to face resistance from Pharaoh, but Moses' own people were turning against him. They were upset and deeply disappointed. The plan of deliverance was just falling apart at the seams. The initial euphoria quickly evaporated and joy and gratitude led way now to despair and hopelessness. And Moses was being misunderstood. And it's not the first time. You know, when we, what we don't see here is Moses trying to defend himself. Moses giving a, a 10-page response to all of their accusations. Instead, immediately, Moses cast everything on God and he cried out to him. Now look at the conversation that he has with God in verses 22 and 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. And granted, Moses was perplexed, disappointed, hurt. He didn't understand all that was happening around him. But he did the right thing when he cried out to God. And as you closely look at Moses' words, you can see that the insecurities once again come to the surface. Lord, didn't I tell you at the burning bush that I'm not the right person for this job, that I'm going to make a big mess, I'm going to goof up? Why did you pick this wrong guy? And Moses prayed one of the most common prayers of a person suffering. Why, God, why? I tell you, why, God, why? Is a question we often ask in times of tragedy, times when we don't comprehend what is happening in our life, when we are wrestling with deep disappointments. The good thing here is, in the Christian faith, we don't have to fake it. We can be totally honest with God. We can openly express our feelings and our hurts and our disappointments and know that God hears us and identifies with our struggles. We can open our hearts to God, even as Jesus did on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those moments when we feel forsaken, when we assume God is distant or far away, I want you to know that God is nearer to us than our hands and our feet. He is closer to us than our breath. Why God? Why? It's the cry of a suffering soul. As much as we want to know why we are facing a particular opposition, I'll tell you there are few answers to the why questions of life this side of eternity. We don't know why 
things happen in our life that shatter our dreams and plans. Why tragedy strikes out of nowhere? Why something bad happens? Why the righteous have to suffer while the wicked seem to prosper? Now, while it is okay to ask those why questions, we need to slowly move away from the why questions to what can we learn from this? Even when we don't understand why something happens, God may use our circumstances to teach us and grow us and mature us in our faith. Lessons that we can learn no other way. I want us to watch a video right now of someone from our congregation who obeyed God's word. And it didn't make her life easy. But through it all, God taught her vital lessons to help her grow in her faith. So let's watch Monica's testimony. My mom and I did not always have um, a deep, loving relationship. My story revolves around my mom, who in 2011 had a stroke, which necessitated her to move into a care home. And it was a very difficult time in my life to see my mom, who had been strong and uh, living on her own in a beautiful condo, and then having to be moved into a care home. So it was a time of grieving, and, it, and I would cry out to God and say, God, I would love her to come home and stay with me, um, but I can't. I'm working full time, and she needs 24-hour care. Um, so I left that prayer with the Lord. So in January 2020, God was just prompting me to think about retirement, early retirement from work. And by the grace of God, I was able to retire in January. What happened after that was quite astounding. Um, COVID hit a month later and the care home said, um, it's gonna be full restriction, you cannot visit her. And I knew um, that my mom would not do well under that situation. So my mom moved home with us and um, I was absolutely overwhelmed as well, and I, I wondered if I could do it, and I didn't know what was ahead, and yet I just embraced it. And as I got up every morning, and I would just say, Lord, it's a new day, give me the strength I need. I've never felt more in my life that God was the strength of my life. And um, there was this renewal in my marriage with my husband, Andrew, as he loved her, and took care of her. Um, he was loving me, and it just restored so many things in our marriage. One of the, the key things um, where I felt really weak was when she was in a lot of pain. She had a lot of chronic pain in her body. And the Lord just sat with me during those times, and as I was rubbing her feet, and holding her hands, and touching her, and singing to her, and as I was doing those things, especially rubbing her feet one night, the Lord just said, I'm rubbing your feet, Monica, and I'm just loving your mom through you. And it was beautiful, and even though I was weak, God just uh, was my strength so I could love on my mom at the same time. He was loving me. So it's a whole new experience of his love. 
And in scripture like that, I am your strength when you're weak became real. So um, on December 3rd in 220, my mom passed away peacefully in our home. It wasn't a perfect relationship at all, and yet God just um, did this work where he, he did a renewal in our life where the past was forgotten and forgiven. I think God um, turns things together for good. It's amazing how he does that. If it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't have moved my mom home. I would have been too scared. I thought, I can't do this. But it was because of COVID and the restrictions that I did move my mom home. And it changed my mom, it changed my husband, Andrew, and it changed me. And I just praise God for it. That beautiful story is a reminder that when we step out in obedience to God, things may not always be easy, but it's worth it. It's worth the effort and sacrifice because in the process we will find out we receive far more than we give. Lastly, when faced with opposition, remember, God is in control. Remember, he's in control. And Moses thought God's deliverance was going to happen in an instant, that all oppositions will immediately cease and everything will go smooth and easy, that the exodus will just happen in a jiffy and they will walk overnight out of Egypt. And much to his dismay, what he experienced was not what he had exactly hoped for. His efforts in response to God's word proved to be counterproductive. The opposition that Moses encountered resulted in frustration, discouragement, heartbreak, confusion, doubts. And that's what opposition does. It causes us to question whether we are walking with God or not. And here's something you need to know. Yes, Moses faced stiff opposition from Pharaoh, but God was going to use that very opposition to demonstrate his glory. And that which was causing all the negative effects will turn into something that will reflect God's power. God was going to use the heart of a hardened sinner like Pharaoh to reveal his power for generations to come. For centuries, he will be known as the God of the Exodus, the God who defeated Pharaoh, his opposition, and all of Egypt. That this is a God who made a way for his people to walk through the Red Sea. Now, in the book of Exodus, the opposition becomes the very vehicle for God to demonstrate his glory. And what if that is true of the opposition that you're facing in your life right now? What if that very thing that is causing you maximum angst, 
causing you maximum frustration and keeping you awake at night will become the very instrument that God will use to demonstrate His power and glory to you and those around you. And we will see in the next chapter, Exodus 6, next weekend, the reassurance that God brings to Moses that His promises cannot fail. No matter our circumstances, God is worthy of our trust, our love, and our deep devotion. So when we are faced with opposition, the rightful response is to wait and watch, to see how God will unfold His plans in the face of intimidating odds. Remember, God is still in control. Look to Him and don't be overwhelmed, for He promises to make all things right.